Hello, podcast listeners. This is Daniel DS Cubed Friedlander, and this is the Nintendo Podcast, or Lithcast, episode number 54 for Sunday, May 30th, 2010. Hello, LithCast listeners. As previously stated, this is Daniel Friedlander, and this is LithCast, episode number 54 for May 30th. And um, as always, an absolute delight and a pleasure to be with all of you. Um, This is, I'm sad to say, our first LithCast of 2010. Um, Not really an impressive statistic, but uh, anyway... um, as I mentioned, it's good to be with all of you, and I'm excited to get this LithCast underway, underway because we have an awful lot to talk about, um, and I suppose we can start off talking about the song that you just heard. Um, that was what's called the Melty Monster Galaxy from Super Mario Galaxy 2. And Super Mario Galaxy 2, obviously, uh, just uh, was released uh, recently, last week or so, um, to apparently rave reviews. Now, I actually have to admit that I haven't played it, and now the reason I haven't played it, well, it's the reason, sorry, sorry uh, twofold. Um, the first is that I haven't really gotten around to just buying it, but of course, even so, I would probably just purchase it on Amazon.com, so it's, the main reason is that I have, actually, I have not beaten the first one, and I sort of feel like, with this sort of a game, 
it's not like well for example one of my other favorite series are is uh pokemon okay if someone said to me you know ds cubed um i want to get into pokemon i want to start playing um i probably wouldn't tell them to go and try to find a game boy pocket or a game boy color and start at the beginning of um you know from red and blue and yellow and uh, tell them to play one of those generation and then have them go through the progression because um it just doesn't make sense there's just there've been advancements that have been made and there isn't it's not that it's not valid but you're not missing anything i don't think um i mean you have more you have more um character selection you can pick your gender you know there's all these new features in the new ones um not that isn't to say that there aren't advancements in super mario galaxy 2 um over the first one but i feel like the the game super mario galaxy 1 its platforming value seems to me to be just about as high as the second one. And the other thing, I feel like I would um, just enjoy the second one more maybe if I played the first one and finished it. Um, But I haven't finished it. I I have to admit, Mario is not one of my favorite um, franchises of games, and so I'm always a little bit... uh, It's always a little bit hard for me to get through them. Certain games like Zelda and Super Smash Bros., well, I mean, you don't really get through Super Smash Bros., but Zelda and Pokemon, you know, those, those are... You, those you can get through quite easily, and actually, you know, like all the like all games, uh, Super Mario Galaxy included, there's always a degree of um, of uh, extra stuff to do. Certainly in Pokemon, people who are just absolute maniac breeders with their Pokemon, or people who are, um, I suppose Zelda, it's a little less like that. Um, but of course, there are side quests, um, and I'm sh- you know Mario, I'm sure is the has you know it's the same way. Um, but anyway, um, as I was looking through music for uh, to use on Lithcast, it was sort of funny because obviously Super Mario Galaxy 2 is highly relevant to what we've had. I mean, it was only released in the um, in the United States on May 23rd, so that was exactly a week ago. It was released in Japan only three three days ago, and it's it's uh, for, it's forthcoming in Europe and Australia June 11th for Europe and July 1st in Australia, but. So it's extremely relevant, but the thing is, one of the nice things with Super Mario Galaxy is the amount of um, effort that's been put into the soundtrack. Uh, they use fully orchestrated um, soundtracks, and actually, this is actually pretty well documented. For both Super Mario Galaxy 1 and Super Mario Galaxy 2, you can go on YouTube and see videos. I think they're even put up by Nintendo officially. You know, you see Shigeru Miyamoto, and you see Ko- Koji Kondo sitting there, and like, there, while the... Um, this group of very well-microphoned um, musicians are playing the the music, so it's sort of funny to use and you know to give you guys a um, to get you know to start playing like a MIDI uh, version of a Super Mario Galaxy song, considering that it's so we're so lucky to have fully orchestrated music. I know a lot of people and since I started running. Uh, the Hylia.com, T-H-E-H-Y-L-I-A.com. One of the things that I've noticed is one, among the many um, things Zelda fans would like to see is um, they want to see uh, fully orchestrated music. Um, that is, they don't want to see MIDI tunes in Zelda. And I can understand that Zelda is like a motion picture in a lot of ways. Um, and people think, well, you, Nintendo, you need to start putting in some fully orchestrated music. Okay, maybe uh, Spirit Tracks. You don't need it. Maybe Phantom Hourglass. You don't need it. 
But certainly for games like Twilight Princess, and I really do hope we'll see this for the uh, Zelda for Wii, we would like to see some fully orchestrated music. So it was sort of funny to go through. And of course, the way we've always done this, if for those of you who don't know, um, go to vgmusic.com. It's a great, great repository of, of uh, video game music in general. But what I, that's what I always do. I always just go to uh, vgmusic.com, and apparently they've hit their 30,000 file marks. So there's 30,000 MIDI files of, um, of video game music. And one of the other fun things about um, not only is it good music and the people uh, who do the remixes are, you know, like what they're, what they're doing, but in addition to that, um, MIDI files allow you to kind of work with the instrumentation yourself. Um, if you're on a Mac, I don't know if there's anything built in like this for Windows, but I'm sure, I mean, I know, I know programs exist like this for Windows, but certainly not, I don't think built in, but on the Mac, you have, everyone has GarageBand um, that has a Mac or has ever bought a Mac, um, and you can just take a MIDI file from vgmusic.com, save it to your desktop, and drag it right into GarageBand, and then you can just play around with the instrumentation. You see it kind of builds itself, and you can pick any of that any instrumentation that you'd like, and you can actually export your own MP3s and kind of roll your own video game music um, without having to have any composing skills or any um, transcribing skills at all. You just go to vgmusic.com. But I always just play it purely off the, what, of, what QuickTime um, gives... Uh, what tones QuickTime assigns. I suppose I could always install a, a pack of of, um, of sounds, and that's like what the guys at Zelda Reorchestrated do. Um, they don't actually orchestrate like with. I should say I shouldn't say they never do that, but I, for most of the stuff, what I'm told is they just do these very high quality uh, sound packs. I mean, they're expensive. They might even be as expensive as <laughs> um, paying musicians, but um, I'm told that's how they do it. So anyway. Um, Super Mario Galaxy is only one of the many uh, pieces of news, but as I like to do mostly when we have Lithcast, is I want to talk a little bit about the actual website and just what's going on, what's been going on. Because between podcasts, the Lithcast experience really never sleeps. Um, it really is something that's a dynamic thing. Being a Lithcast listener is one thing. It's a, it's generally a passive thing unless you write in an email for the show. Um, but one way to make your Lithcast listenership a little more active, actually quite a bit more active, is to uh, go to lithcast.com, L-I-T-H-C-A-S-T.com. Um, we've got a whole bunch of new articles up there, and I'm. Um, it's funny, I don't write that much stuff up, up there, and of course I was also planning on uh, redoing the website, um, but I'll, anyway, I'll talk about that in a moment. So, but L-I-T-H-C-A-S-T.com, Lithcast, uh, has a lot of great stuff, and particularly, certainly the most active part of the website is the Lithca- or the Lithcast forums, uh, lithcast.com slash forums, or you can just go to the website and click the button. And the Lithcast forums are, uh, we've had complaints that they're not the most active forums in the world. They're not, they're not, um, you know, they're not a slouch of a forums. We have over 76,000 postings um, in about almost 4,000 topics. And so we have, you know, we have members. And so it's not like it's a, it's the smallest forum in the world. But one thing about the Lithcast forums that's really uh, is, sets it apart from any other one is I think the community that we have, and it's I also try to I, I also um, try to make sure and I tell all of our moderators this, and that's among well among the many other reasons uh, the forums are so great is because of our moderators, um, Mr. Storm and uh, Endor are just are terrific terrific moderators and um, uh, they volunteer very generously to do what they do, and the reason that they do such a good job is because they. Love Nintendo, love video games, and they love the community. And I can understand it. Uh, the community at Lithcast is very uh, nice. Uh, uh, 
if you're a new member, particularly if you're a new member with good grammar and good spelling and who has not such a foul mouth, we really do welcome you. Um, we would love, I mean, there's certainly, uh, the only uh, uh, deficit I would say we have at the Lithcast forums is the fan art board um, isn't, I wish we had a, little, a few more artists. I can't draw, I can't, I can't even sign my name, but um, it would be nice if we had a few more artists on the Lithcast message boards. Um, let's see. Uh, but it, like I said, it's, I try to, I try to pride it on being, um, a PG or at least PG under PG 13. Don't allow swearing. Don't allow anything, uh, suggest, you know, super suggestive really. Um, and yeah, like I mentioned, the other website that I basically run is the hylia.com. The hylia.com wasn't founded with those same principles. It was founded as more of a platform for, you know, you say what you want to say about video games. And there's, a, there's obviously a lot of benefit to doing that. Um, but it's not the way I, I, um, founded Lithcast. It's not those principles. Um, I do think Lithcast is a great place to exchange ideas, but at the same time, we really ask that you keep it PG and we're going to enforce that. And I do think that Lithcast has become a better community for it. Um, so anyway, uh, absolutely take uh, join. We really, most importantly, more than like the language, cause you know, the language maybe doesn't bother some people, but regardless of how much language bothers you, the one thing about it is it's a place that you can feel like you're you're safe going to, and that you're you're welcomed uh, to going. Like I said, particularly if you have good if you have good grammar, uh, we absolutely would love to have you there. Um, so that's the Lithcast uh, forums. Now, as far as the actual main site goes, Lithcast.com, I mentioned we have a bunch of new articles, and I'm going to talk about that. Um, but I wanted to talk about the redesign that I was talking about last year um, at Lithcast. I was hoping to get a new not a new design, but actually a really more, I mean, a new design would probably arise from this, but I wanted to have a whole content management system um, on the back end of Lithcast. You might not know it, but Lithcast.com doesn't have a content management system. Um, There's no PHP, well, I should say there's no PHP. There's no, except for the contact form, there basically is no, there are no dynamic pages. Everything's basically static. It's being managed on a on it, you know, from it's being managed on my local on my local machine, um, but there is no backend. There's no lithcast.com/admin/login or whatever. Um, that doesn't exist. Everything's done with FTP and uh, static pages. And I would say, considering that, we've done a pretty good job of making it look like it's a very uh, dynamic page. But you'll notice we have comments. Like our commenting system isn't, you know, based on. It's not hosted on Lithcast. It's separate. Um, but the reason I wanted to do this is because I would I wanted to kind of have one. Um, well, first of all, I wanted to have it make it easier to update away from um, my computer where I have all the templates and everything. But also, I wanted to make it so that it could be more dynamic with user content and all these other things. Unfortunately, that's kind of all been put on hold, um, and I really wasn't set also on which content management system I wanted to use because um, everyone's got an opinion on this. As I saw, is all I can say. And everyone also um, knocks one or another. Um, I was talking to some other people who other people who have Zelda websites, and they're saying, "Well, the only way to do it is to make your own content management system." Like, "Oh, okay, yeah, sure, um, sure, why not?" Um, which I, I don't think they're correct um, that that is the way to do it um, for any number of reasons. Among them, that it's just unsafe. And it's much better to have a lot of people looking at it um, instead of 
you know, and have a well-documented project with a lot of people who are smarter than me <laughs> looking at the code and determining what is what is advantageous and what is um, vulnerable in the content management system. But anyway, not to get too technical, even though I probably already did. Um, putting on hold, um, I was originally thinking about using something like Drupal. Um, Drupal is a content management system, but actually I'm starting to warm up to WordPress as a, which is a blogging engine, but I'm starting to look into it for other things. I'm working on it, working with it for some other stuff and trying to, you know, in the extensions for it, you know, you can potentially extend it to, to work sort of like a content management system. It isn't admittedly designed for it, but there are some very good production sites that, are, that do run it. And, um, I do think that has a lot of potential. So that's actually sort of taking a new sort of front running spot now. And so I'm kind of working on, working on that a bit, but anyway, I'm not dead set on any one thing. And of course, if you have a recommendation, which I imagine you probably do since everyone else seems to have one, uh, you can go ahead and email me, daniel at lithcast.com, D-A-N-I-E-L at L-I-T-H-C-A-S-T dot com. Um, I've gotten some, I, I've mentioned this previously, I've become so much of a better speller since uh, starting Lithcast, or at least better at pronouncing words. I, I could probably enter a spelling bee. Well, at least if the, at least if the, if the two words in the spelling bee were Lithcast and the Hylia, I could, I could probably do it. Um, anyway, so I mentioned that we have a few articles and we have, uh, some interesting people writing them. I'm, I wrote one, um, and Endor wrote one. So we have, we got, we got a lot of, as I mentioned, we have a lot of articles. Some of them are quite thought provoking. Some of them are, um, like the ones I wrote, not so thought-provoking, and, um, well, actually, I mean, I think, I think the one I wrote actually was pretty decent, um, but, anyway, I, I've, of course, given this talk, uh, before, and I'm going to give it again, um, about what my article is about, um, but if you've been listening to LithCast for any extended period of time, you kind of know how I feel about what I'm going to talk about, um, so let's just get off LithCast here, and, um, well, actually, sorry, not, not quite, uh, someone asked me, on the forum, I think it was, was a jammy boy. Jammy boy is one of our new members who, who is in, who is in, um, in Australia. And he's been a very great new member, uh, a model example, a model example, I would say for a new member. Um, if I do say so myself. Um, but anyway, one thing he asked was, are, are we going to have a birthday episode? Which is a good question because normally we do have a birthday episode. Unfortunately, again, um, I'm not going to be in town during with Cass's birthday. Lithcast was founded on uh, July 31st, 2005, and so we've been going, um, this will be our fifth year, well, Lithcast will be five years old, um, if we manage to make it all the way to, uh, to, uh, July 31st. Unfortunately, as I mentioned, I'm not going to be in town, so I may do a birthday episode, we'll see, um, I may have to work around it, uh, I probably won't be able to do a sort of a news-ish episode, there might be an episode, special episode that I might do. Um, that I might do, and we might still do a contest on the website, but I probably won't be, I might not be here to do a podcast. Anyway, we'll wait and see, and we'll play that by ear. Um, let's see. Do, do, do. Well, I mean, I, I have news I want to get to, but, um, well, why not? Let's get to the news. So, um, there are a few kind of big things coming up. Obviously, a lot is happening because we are about two weeks away from um, E3 2010. The Electronic Entertainment Exposition uh, starts June, it's June 15th to the 17th. Um, if you followed me on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash dscubed, then you would know that I 
submitted and now have had my registration approved for E3, so I'm I'm going. Um, the one difficult thing was, even though I thought I was early, <laughs> hotels are never very easy. And um, so, but um, I just today was able to make a reservation at a someplace and still not quite, not super close to the actual convention center, but you know, you take what you can get uh, when you are kind of desperate uh, as far as getting there. But of course, like I mentioned, I'm not, I'm not really going for any any business reason. I'm not, you know, Lithcast isn't my main source of income. Um, in fact, it's not even a source of income really. And so it's, you know, you, you take it in stride. I, I'm really honored just to go. Um, this year I'm going to be bringing, uh, um, I think my, Michael Tyler has been on a few times before. Uh, he used to have, he co-hosted a few times and he is, uh, hopefully going to be going to E3 with me. We'll see if his registration got it. If he gets approved, he's still pending. Um, and anyway, so that's good stuff. Now, as far as E3, we're going to talk about E3, absolutely, about what I expect to see. Endor actually wrote a column. It's the current front page story on Lithcast about what he expects to see from each company at E3. Obviously, we're concerned with Nintendo here. And he thought uh, a demo for the 3DS, which I don't even think we've talked about. <laughs> Oh boy, we have so much to catch up on. Uh, details on the new Zelda game, at least we've had this. And then finally, he thinks that we'll see another lame Wii add-on. Um, so we'll we'll get to that in a second. Um, but obviously E3 is coming up. And so that's sort of generated a lot of hype. And it's also generating a lot of pre-E3 news um, and a lot of speculation. And so um, obviously E3 is a big... Um, is a big... Um, conference. I mean, it's the biggest video game conference in the world, for those of you who don't know. And it's basically the time when the game companies announce what they're going to be doing for the rest of the year, um, particularly holiday season. And um, so people know what to, what to look forward to. Um, well, might as well start talking about what Nintendo ought to do at E3. Um, I wrote an article about this, and although they don't have to do this at E3 necessarily, I think we're sort of getting down to the 11th hour. And I do think Nintendo has to do this sooner rather than later. And you've all heard me talk about this. Um, the single greatest thing Nintendo could probably do for themselves is to re- to um, revamp their online platform. Um, anyone who's known um, somebody or has used themselves Nintendo Wi-Fi connection really doesn't need that much of an explanation as to why. Uh, you have friend codes, and um, in this era of more online interactivity and not less, not a world where the company that um, monitors and the company that provides the online access acts as your mother. In that type of an, in this era that we have, what Nintendo's doing really isn't, I'm not gonna say isn't, I mean, I'm, I'll, just, I'll, I'll use a cliched environmentalist term, it's not sustainable. And I think we can all understand that Nintendo's going to fall by the wayside in terms of multiplayer if they can't get their online act together. And particularly for a company like Nintendo, who is priding themselves now on including a lot of people, um, including your friends and family. Now, maybe Nintendo would take exception to that, that remark by saying, well, you know, local multiplayer is still pretty good on games like Wii Sports. We just don't want you playing with people like, you know, strangers. But I would ask, um, what would be the big deal at this point? Nintendo's What's 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 the worst that's going to happen? Normally, in like say a game like Halo, where you can play with complete strangers, they might 
they might swear at you or something. But Nintendo's barely, I think if ever, maybe once in one game, has ever even enabled the Wii Speak attachment on the Wii. That's not, that's not even a real possibility. Um, which, which, by the way, is another reason for their platform's mediocrity. Um, and let's see. On the DS, it's same similar sort of thing. Voice chat, I can only think of it. I think it's in, like, is it in Pokemon and also in Metroid Prime Hunters. There might be some other games, but it's not super well implemented. And it's difficult to connect with anyone anyway. So um, I would say that certainly the greatest thing Nintendo can do for themselves, and this extends to both the DS and the Wii, is to increase the accessibility, the ease of use of their online platform. I think Nintendo now has a their feet held to the fire a little bit more. Um, with And I wrote this in my article. Um, thanks to Nintendo... Sorry, not Nintendo. Thanks to Apple um, showing off their Game Center platform. Um, Apple, of course, I watched their keynote for the iPhone OS 4.0. It was a little bit unfair at some of the slides. They said, like, well, the iPhone has this many games. Uh, and it's this many times more than the DS games. Now, I would also submit to you that probably... The quality, <laughs> in ter- well, in terms of depth of play, in a in an iPhone game on average is far lower than the average DS game. But regardless, I I think that the iPhone is coming up there, and of course, um, well, it wasn't just last how recently it wasn't very long ago, a few days ago, that Capcom released Phoenix Wright for only four ninety nine on the iPhone. So if you're someone, you're saying, okay, well, I can either go out to the store and buy a copy of Phoenix Wright on my Nintendo DS. Or I can for thirty dollars, or I can pay four ninety nine on my iPhone and have Phoenix Wright potentially have online downloadable content. I mean, I, they can update it. I mean, there's no, there's really no limit to what they can do with it. And it also ties into a better online platform, uh, Game Center. I don't really think Phoenix Wright, to be honest, has a lot of multiplayer potential. But I'm just saying that the the quality of the games that Nintendo can rely on. Granted, I think a lot of people buy Nintendo stuff. For Nintendo's games, at least the Wii, I think the DS is a little different. The DS, Nintendo's always had a strong hold on that market, on the portable market. But it's certainly with the Wii, I think the reason most people buy the Wii, at least, <laughs> at least the re- main reason I buy the Wii, is because of Nintendo's software. I mean, it's the same sort of thing like Apple. Actually, do people really buy Apple products because of the hardware? I think that's one thing. We had this discussion on the forums, not discussion, but this sort of came up on the forums, um, which was. This idea of like, oh well, they're Apple fanboys. I think what bo- I think what I think what bothers people who say that sort of thing about people who like Apple computers is that people say, well, see, you can buy the same hardware that goes into an Apple computer um, for less money and have it be a PC, and that's absolutely true. You can totally do that. Apple doesn't have any monopoly on the the best processors or on the you know the best anything. Uh, in fact, Apple doesn't always put in the best stuff into their computers uh, you can build this an equivalent pc usually um for less money uh, particularly on the lower end on the higher end it starts i'd say on the mac pro and it starts becoming a little more competitive but by and large a pc is going to be cheaper than a mac but really why people buy apple stuff it's it's their software um people buy their hardware for the software that runs on it for the simplicity the ease of use the peace of mind that people get out of the software and you can say part of its aesthetics of the hardware but you know really i there's some pretty good looking pcs out there too and some pretty powerful pcs out there some you know windows machines and uh certainly there are are 
you know, is it all about performance? No, I mean, you could get versions of Linux that are super speed optimized that could run on the same or cheaper hardware. So anyway, my point is that I think with Nintendo, they have the, at least on the Wii side, they have their, their software is what saves them. And I think, so there they may have a better chance, but in the mobile gaming platform, in the mobile gaming space, which really I think is starting to become a bigger and bigger and more relevant a piece of gaming, uh, Nintendo has a, sort of a lot of good competition. Um, I think Apple's going to give them a run for their money. And it's interesting, actually, Matt Cosmasino, the I, former uh, Nintendo IGN editor, I said former because I haven't mentioned this, but he um, has quit. He quit a few a month, a month ago or so and is actually going to head up or to be part of Apple's Game Center division. So they're hiring good people. They're, I think you know, Apple's, Apple has set, their, has set their sights on, I mean, obviously Nintendo, that's really who they stand to gain the most market share from, but the whole industry. Um, so I think Nintendo, as I've always said, needs to re- make good on their online platform, and that's really what's going to help them more than anything. If there's any one thing I would love to see, or maybe one thing that's being rolled out as part of the 3DS, and we're going to talk about 3DS too, I'm sure you all know about it, but we're going to talk about it, um, would be a better online platform. They can help themselves so much with it. Um, in a lot of ways, though, even if they did make their online platform better, um, they're still sort of stuck uh, because, well, I'll give you a good example. If you're, if you, any of you bought a DSi or a DSi XL, and then, like, say, bought a copy of uh, Pokemon Heart Gold and Soul Silver, which, by the way, are now out and are terrific. Um, if either if you bought one of those games, um, Heart Gold or Soul Silver, well, you might have noticed that if you want to go play online, and even though your DSi and your DSi XL support WPA and WPA2 encryption, you you still can't use it for um, Pokemon Heart Gold and Pokemon Soul Silver, which is really weird because you, you're thinking, well, okay, the hardware I'm playing this on supports this encryption type, and, and you'd be an idiot not to use WPA or WPA2 because it's insecure to use WEP. It's insecure to have an un, uh, an insecure Wi-Fi access point. I mean, I use WPA2 on my network, and I wouldn't use anything else. And the Wii supports WPA2, um, and all the Wii games do. What I don't understand is why Nintendo, who, well, first off, these standards existed before the DS, the original DS came out in 2004, why they at least didn't put in the capacity to update this sort of thing. This is all software stuff. There's no hardware change that needs to go on. But if you're playing, uh, the way Nintendo did it is they segregated the the Wi-Fi access and from the actual system, as in when you put a, if you have like a DS, uh, the first generation DS, that thing doesn't know how to get online unless you connect a game to it that has that instruction set in each game that you have that has a Nintendo Wi-Fi connection has that same like little instruction set in it. So the DS basically doesn't know what it's doing. It doesn't like, it might as well not have Wi-Fi unless you have the game in it. And that was just a stupid decision. So Nintendo probably can't help themselves much with the, with the DS. Now in the Wii, they can potentially help themselves with the software update. That at least is doable. Thank, thank their lucky stars for that. And hopefully with this new 3DS, they'll, they'll get wise and they'll have a whole, whole new uh, platform. But anyway, I've been saying, I've been alluding to the 3DS a lot, and that's, of course, one thing I think we're going to see at, at E3 this year. In fact, we know we're going to see it at E3 this year. It's been confirmed by Satoru Iwata that the 3DS is going to have a presence at E3. Now, <laughs> this is really stupid, um, but Reggie Fisame, the um, president of Nintendo of America, was saying, well, we're not saying it's going to be at the media briefing. And then uh, Jeff Keighley says, 
well, Jeff Keeler, by the way, is um, a um, Canadian video game journalist from, uh, he's on Game Trailers, and he's this guy that always has a sort of like running tournaments with Reggie. He's kind of Reggie's best friend, basically. And he challenges him to Wii Sports tournaments. It's like they have sort of this ongoing rivalry. It's pretty, it's pretty cheesy. Border, borderline non-journalistic. But anyway, we're not here to reprimand uh, Jeff Keighley. Anyway, so Jeff Keighley says, well, Reggie, if it's not going to be at the media briefing, that's going to be on the show floor. He's like, well, I didn't say it was going to be on the show floor. He said, but Reggie, if it's not going to be on the show floor and it's not going to be at the media briefing, how are we going to say He's like, well, I just can confirm that the presence will be there, but it just might not be at those two places. Which I'll say actually sort of worries me a little bit. Now, he said this about, like, what, a month or two ago? Before, I think probably most of the, a lot of the E3 plans for Nintendo were fleshed out, but... So he might have just been toying with us, but hopefully he's not suggesting, at least I hope he's not suggesting, uh, that we're going to have a similar type of release as we did with the Wii Zelda teaser image or with Super Smash Bros. Brawl, and what, to remind you of what those were like, both of those were sort of done at private parties uh, for certain like privileged media people, and um, I guess that bothers me because I've already been invited to the media briefing, uh, Nintendo's media briefing, and I plan to go. And I've also got to go to E3, but if it's not either, either of those two places, I'm going to be a little bit disappointed. Although, um, I suppose, look, as long as the information gets out there, I'm sure we'll see it. So, the 3DS, though, um, as far as what it is, for those of you who haven't heard, or if this is your only source of news for Nintendo, um, the 3DS is something that Nintendo revealed earlier this year, and it's a, and it's going to use 3D. Of course, any of you have been following CES and those sorts of um, trade shows, you know that the big, the big sort of, the next big thing, apparently, is 3D. Now, I personally have never been really impressed with 3D, and actually, the funny thing is, I have not met anyone that's been pr- particularly impressed with 3D, so I'm wondering who these, I'm wondering who these, like, 3D-pushing gremlins are that seem to think that 3D is terrific, but apparently, um, this is a little bit different, because one thing about the 3DS is that it doesn't require glasses. Traditionally, you think of 3D as you go into a movie theater and they give you those cheap paper glasses, you go into Disneyland, wherever it is you want to see a 3D movie, and you sit down and anyway, they give you the glasses and you watch the 3D movie. And like as I mentioned, I never been particularly impressed. I know people who tell me they get like headaches from watching 3D. Um, people say they get nauseous. There's so many problems with 3D, but I'm not sure if those really result from the glasses or not. Obviously, true 3D does, shouldn't give anyone a headache or any or anything like that, because you see your, I'm assuming you have two eyes, you see your entire life as 3D. So there's nothing inherent, I mean, 3D is inherently natural, but maybe it's just this tricking process that's been, that's been bothering people. Or maybe they're just making it up. Um, but except, the thing is, so the, it's, and I found this to be very interesting. Um, the way that, and I don't understand exactly how this works, but anyways, so Nintendo's has a system codenamed the 3DS. We don't know if that's the official name, um, it very well could be, um, but it, it might not be. Hopefully it won't go for, hopefully it won't have like sort of a, a revolution to Wii scale of name change, but anyway, 3DS would be fine. Um, I don't know, I don't, I don't like the name that much, but it's, I mean, <laughs> I'd rather have something like named the 3DS instead of the Wii. So anyway, the 3DS is a code name. And Nintendo revealed that it was basically like it's a DS, and it's this, I guess it's the successor to the DS, and it has to be 
probably a new platform. I'm not sure if it's, I think they said it was backwards compatible, although I'm, I'm really making, I have the press release. Um, we're not really the press release. I have sort of like the corporate, the corporate document here. Um, I probably ought to get that out. Um, so anyway, let's see if I can get it here. I think I have it right here locally on my, on my computer. No, that's Nintendo's income. That's Nintendo's balance sheet. Oh, here we are. Well, I'll just read it because it's only two paragraphs. It says, uh, to whom it may concern, Nintendo Co. Limited, um, let's see, will launch the Nintendo 3DS, a temporary name, during a fiscal year ending March 2011, on which games can be played and enjoyed with 3D effects without the need for any special glasses. Nintendo 3DS is going to be the new portable machine to succeed into the Nintendo DS series, whose cumulative consolidated sales from Nintendo amounted to 125 million units as of December 2009. So actually, we actually have new NPD data that shows it's a little higher, but anyway. Um, and will include backward compatibility so that the software for the DS series, including the ones for Nintendo DSi, can also be enjoyed. We are planning to announce additional details at the E3 show, which is scheduled to be held from June 15th um, at Lo in Los Angeles in the United States. Okay. Um, I, I sort of had to correct some of the grammar. It was released from Nintendo's uh, Japanese website, but in English. Um, so Nintendo revealed this, and apparently it's backwards compatible. Um, so presumably it'll either have two um, disc slots or two slots for cartridges, or maybe it won't even use cartridges. Who knows? I'm, I probably will, though. Like the uh, Nintendo DS and DS Lite um, was the way it was backwards compatible with the Game Boy Advance. Um, but it also um, could contain the same slot. And, of course, I think what would be easier for Nintendo to do would be to have just one slot and then just just you know just get just get dsi games or ds 3ds games into the same form factor it's not that difficult i mean that's pretty generous in terms of space you have sd cards which are smaller and they have ones that you know, are 32 gigabytes so I, I think nintendo can somehow manage with that much space so anyway uh but the 3ds what's interesting about it is it doesn't require any special glasses and people kind of throw that around like oh it's well okay sure doesn't require any special glasses the way that nintendo does this apparently is with the or I think the way it's believed they're going to do this um, is with a display technology called parallax bar parallax barrier technology, um, and I'll admit that I don't completely understand this. I've read it, I've read this on Wikipedia um, about how it works, and I don't exactly get how it works. But I think I'll give you my understanding of it. Um, the way 3D basically works is that your left and right eye have to see different images and that's the way it happens in real life and that's what allows you to have sort of two different vantage points on any object that you're looking at um now the way that's been done with glasses is that your left so you have like a, those red and blue glasses and you have that sort of red and blue and purplish image overlaid on, overlaid on each other on a screen you, you've probably all seen it in what a 3d image looks like um the purple stuff the stuff that's common to um red and blue like the, okay that stuff will get shown or but the stuff that's say your left eye is blue or something uh, that will get reflected back, so it won't be seen, the blue stuff won't be seen by your left eye, but the red stuff will be, and then on the right side, basically it works the opposite way. Um, so, you're sort of seeing different images, but it's not really a perfect filtering out, um, anyone who's seen a 3D movie knows it's not quite perfect, not quite as good as real life. Um, what this parallax barrier uh, technology does um, and we actually we actually don't know that it was it's being used for Nintendo's 3DS. It's just that's the rumor. 
Um, and the rumor is based off a few things. The first thing that's based off of is just that Nintendo said it's not going to use glasses. And the second thing is that there are companies, uh, two companies in particular, Sharp and Hitachi, which are, have been partners with Nintendo in the past for making uh, components for their systems, who are uh, making small, you know, three to four inch displays. Each one, I think, for, uh, Sharp has a different uh, display size than Hitachi that are about the right form factor for Nintendo's DS, and they've showed them off at, I think, in conventions in Japan. So I think that's really the basis, but we don't really know, but my guess is that's probably correct. And I think the way it works is that there's a there's a layer um, of material, and it has, like, a bunch of, like, slits, and so that basically the left eye sees different pixels in the right eye. Now, the main disadvantage to this technology um, is, and the reason that glasses you know, are still used. Like, what do you think? Well, why doesn't every screen just use this? Um, if it's cheap enough to probably be put into a Nintendo handheld, it must be cheap enough to to go into a television that's 3D. Well, the reason that doesn't really work on everything is because Nintendo has the advantage of, well, sorry, I should say this technology has the disadvantage of only being viewable from a small viewing angle. Um, if you've ever seen, like, um, well, these new LED televisions that are LED side backlit or, or you know, are edge lit LED televisions that are brand new. It's an LCD type of lighting. They have amazing viewing angles. Uh, Nintendo, not Nintendo, Apple w- is using something called in-plane switching on their new iPad, which gives it this, I would say it's not a stellar viewing angle, but considering the screen is as glossy as it is, I would say it's a pretty good viewing angle. So they're doing all these things that give them a wide viewing angle so it can be enjoyed by more more people. But unfortunately, this parallax barrier technology means that you probably have to be dead center, or maybe you have a plus or minus 10 or 20 degrees on either side. I'm away from the system. But Nintendo is lucky, because if you're using a handheld system like the DS, I mean, you're the only one looking at it, um, unless someone's looking over your shoulder. But then again, that's not the critical player Nintendo needs to aim at pleasing. Um, you're uniquely able to also reposition it. Um, when you're watching television... Um, either if you're off, if you're off access and you can't, if you're off access and you can't see the, the television or the 3D is not working on you, well, you either have to move your body, your whole body and move yourself, or you have to move the television, neither of which is particularly convenient, um, television, much less so the body. But when you have a Nintendo DS, all you, maybe all you do is you move your head a little bit or (laughs) you move your, you move the, the system and it's a handheld system. So it's doable. So I think Nintendo has sort of a perfect storm going here with the, DS and using it um, and leveraging 3D technology. So I do think that this is one of the more promising aspects and one of the most promising um, uses of 3D that we're actually going to see. Um, as in, I, I think 3D could really be a potentially great feature of this. Now, what, he wa- what they've said, I believe, I think this was Iwata that said this, um, they've expanded on the 3DS a little bit more, because um, of course that's all everyone wants to talk about. Um, and one thing that they've said about the 3DS is that it's going to be able to have a little switch so you can turn on and off 3D, which I think is quite convenient. And actually, it makes a lot of sense that this could be done, unlike movies, um, which have to be shot in 3D. Video games, every video game, presumably, well, not every game, but most video games that are 3D are made in a 3D space. Um, the programs, the software that's used to create them by the game developers exists in a 3D space, you know, you maybe they eventually put it onto a two-dimensional screen. But if all you ha- if if you're developing it inside of a 3D space, then you have sort of a you're you're kind of already halfway there. So 
I do think that this is going to be something that maybe developers will be able to implement. One of the unique things about Nintendo is because they have such a dominant position in the handheld market is that they can, I don't want to say they have to force the develop, developers, but um, I would say this is an interesting, it's going to be an interesting push for 3DI. I can't say I'm, I can't say I'm a particularly big advocate of 3D in general for television, but I think Nintendo does have some things going for it in terms of the handheld system. And of course, we know how reluctant Nintendo often is to implement new technologies like HD. And um, so I do think that seeing this, um, seeing this sort of thing is encouraging and, and, and very interesting from Nintendo. And just while on the subject of three of uh, HD, just a quick little note. I saw it today on, on Engadget.com, which is one of my favorite gadget blogs to read. Uh, there's there's a uh, a new little device called Wii and the number two HDMI. HDMI, for those of you who don't know, is the uh, um, it's a high definition cable. It's a single cable that, that transmits both uh, audio and video, and it's kind of the gold standard. It's a digital type of cable that supports HDCP copy protection, and it is sort of the gold standard for transmitting HD video. Well, of course, the Wii is not HD. The best you can do is you can get component cables uh, from Nintendo or from a third party that will give you 480p video uh, instead of 480i um, video quality. But uh, this Wii to HD, don't get too excited. It doesn't give you 720p. It does give you 480p just like... Uh, just like... Um, just like the component cables, although arguably there's less degradation because there's no, it's not a analog, it's no longer an analog signal um, traveling, and so I suppose if your component cables aren't super well shielded, or if you just have a, an extra HDMI port on your television and not a extra component cable uh, so slot, and then maybe this is a good thing for you. Otherwise, though, I can't say this is a particularly great thing or something you should really get excited about so just before the hype starts getting getting there i don't think it will but just in case this, people start hyping it up you'll know in advance that this is not anything to get too excited about um not at least not until nintendo re releases the wii hd which by the way actually people who know me in real life and know that like i'm interested in nintendo and who are interested in somewhat themselves in nintendo have asked me well do you think they're going to release a new version of the wii and particularly this has come up because i if you don't know, like to invest in stocks. And so people who are, and this is sort of a fact I've accepted, if you ever try, and I, if you ever tried buying Nintendo stock, is that people are super fixated on the Wii. And there's nothing against being fixated on the Wii, but I think there's so, there's so much evidence to the contrary. Um, the sales of the Nintendo DS, are, I mean, I always, I always think that Nintendo DS is sort of the, it's, it's sort of the, uh, it's like the best kept se it's like the it's like the worst yet best kept secret in Nintendo um on Nintendo's balance sheet because Nintendo we don't really know the profit margins on the Wii but I think Merrill Lynch or someone estimated that it was about $12. Um I think it's pretty safe to assume that since Nintendo DS is using 2004 technology and they've re-released it re-released it so many times that where they're making more on that than on the Wii and since they have such and also because they have such a more of a monopoly position in that in that sector of the uh, market, I think we can assume that they're going to take closer to uh, monopoly level profits. So, in terms of a margin, so uh, when people say like, "Oh, well, how's the you know, Wii HD?" I, I first thought first my first response is, "I mean, I'm not saying that wouldn't be terrific, but Wii HD is not the, the, the not the real story. The Nintendo DS, I think, is the real story. Um, where Nintendo has always proved to be dominant 
is in that industry. And I think it's all, and I mean, it happens every month. The, the DS sells, I mean, from just look at, and just look at the NPD data for any month, the DS sells on average, what, twice as much as the D as the Wii. Um, but for some reason though, I think the Wii is just more glamorous. And this is one thing I think is a, if I had to give you any lessons as far as picking, looking at investing in their, uh, stock just as a general thing, cause I'm not giving official advice or anything, um, is you just have to accept that people like the average person, like what moves their stock is not necessarily the thing that is the most, you know, generally I think the market's pretty good, but in this one instance, I would say that they focus a little too much on the Wii. Um, and so this time um, people say, well, I think it's gonna be a Wii HD. Frankly, I don't see a Wii HD being revealed at all at E3. I do think Nintendo's actually going to, I really do have a good feeling about what Nintendo's doing this year. Um, I just don't, I don't know what Microsoft and Sony are doing, but I feel like they've already sort of shown their hand for what they're going to be doing at this year's E3. Um, and I don't think people are particularly, I mean, some people are saying like, oh, there might be an Xbox 360 Slim that might be bundled with the Project Natal. Okay. I mean, no surprise. No, it's not really a huge surprise. Um, but I, so I do think Nintendo has a lot, uh, can, can win this E3 if you want to, if you want to put it that way. And I think the reason that people get so worked up about the PS3 and the, sorry, about the Wii is that there's this concept that Nintendo can win. I mean, Nintendo is dominant already in the handheld market, um, but there's a war going on in the console market. So, um, and who knows, we might start seeing a war in the handheld market because of Apple. So anyway, uh, I don't think we're going to see a Wii HD, a Wii 2 or whatever. I don't even think we're going to see an announcement of it. But I do think this this E3, I think, is all about 3DS. And I really think it's about time. This has been, it's been since 2004, so it's been almost almost six years, it was November of 2004, that Nintendo released the first, sorry, was it, was it, was it, was it, was it November or was it April? Oh gosh, I forget. But anyways, it was 2004. I know, I know that, I know the year, but I don't remember the actual, um, well, let's see, let's ask the internet. The internet seems to know a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, no, yeah, okay. I should never doubt myself. November 21st, 2004 was the first, um, uh, retail availability for the Nintendo DS came out first in North America, then shortly after in Japan. Um, anyway, so 2004, basically. And so Nintendo's had a, kind of a long time to, to be thinking about what they want to do next. And obviously this 3D thing is a lot different. Um, we don't really know much about the specifics of the, uh, of the, uh, the 3DS, although there was actually an interesting story. And you, you know, you guys know, I, I if you listen to this podcast for an extended period of time, you know that one thing I love is speculation. Um, it's just my, probably my favorite thing about the industry. And what's interesting was there was a, an FCC filing, of course, um, companies that want to make peripherals or want to make something, they have to file, do filings. If they want to sell in the United States, they have to have FCC filings. Well, this company called Mitsumi and Mitsumi makes, um, game controllers. So like they might've made the actual controller for like the NES or the SNES. Um, and they make game controllers and they've done this for Nintendo for a while. Human interface devices, I guess is the technical term for them. Um, and Mitsumi had a, showed off some, did some FCC filing and inside the FCC filing was a picture of what looked like a developer unit for the Nintendo. We don't know if it's a 3DS or if it's just a regular DS or what. Um, but it appears that it could be the 3DS. Um, it's. It had 
the only thing that really made it seem like it might be a 3DS was that one of the screens, I guess the top screen, as you'd call it, doesn't really look like a DS. One thing you should know is it kind of looks like a giant block of green silicon. Um, but one thing about it is it had a top screen that was a 16 by 9 aspect ratio, which is the same aspect ratio that these um, two screens may being made by Sharp and um, uh, Hitachi are. Uh, that was, you know, it was, uh, it was 16 by 9, so it it looked like it could potentially be the 3DS, maybe. Um, what's also what's kind of disappointing if this is an actual representative demo unit of it is that the bottom screen is not widescreen. So I, I feel like it's gonna look a little might look a little awkward. But then again, Nintendo's done stuff like this before. I was sort of arguing originally that, um, well, no, they're not gonna do that. It's it's ridiculous. They won't have one screen be widescreen, one screen be uh, four by you know four four to three four by three aspect ratio. I suppose Nintendo could do it because I was reminded of the fact that Nintendo only made one screen touch one, only one of their screens touch screens, and there is only an ARM seven processor that's about half the speed of the ARM nine processor which controls the top screen on the on the bottom screen. So it's possible Nintendo's definitely and of course oh boy I just got through that that shtick about. Uh, Nintendo with the uh, not putting all the online functionality into the system itself. Uh, that, of course, is all terrific. Um, so I, I guess I wouldn't put it past Nintendo, but even so, it doesn't really reveal that much about the system. Uh, it doesn't appear to have like a, a joystick or anything. I mean, I think a lot of people, I mean, sure, it's there's 3D, but I think we also have to ask ourselves, like, well, what what else could potentially be be revealed here um like what else can they do obviously the 3ds may be 3d but i mean how about joysticks how about um how about any number of other things i mean there's a lot of stuff they can do with it so anyway um it's it'll be interesting to see exactly if that's turns out to be a good demo unit of course we'll, we'll pretty much we'll probably know at e3 um if if that's a representative unit or not there's so much to talk about. Um, so another thing probably that's going to be talked, uh, discussed at E3, and of course this particularly is this is right up my alley, uh, being the you know, running the Hylia now, is the next Wii Zelda will probably be discussed in greater detail. Um, and the next Wii Zelda, we don't know much about it. I mean, we've heard offhanded comments Miyamoto saying, "Well, I want to make Zelda more approachable," um, in the sense that you know, he wants the controls to be easier to work with wants it to be something that the controls aren't let's just say the controls aren't prohibitive to new players entering the zelda experience and i have no problem with that i don't want the whole game to be easier so that there's no fun there's no puzzles or but i don't think we're in for that anyway so um it's it's interesting we'll see if uh, what they reveal i have no personal opinions on this i was talking to somebody who who would let's just say somebody who would know um i guess i don't know if i want to give this person's name but there, there's somebody that might that might know and this person was like oh yeah for sure we're gonna see it i mean i didn't say that let's say they might know i don't mean like they have any insider information i should i should i don't want it to be quoted as this being insider information this is just someone who is involved as a zelda expert and he said well you know they're for sure gonna reveal it i'd be a little bit worried if they didn't reveal it now or i mean sorry if they didn't reveal it and we had it out by year's end and I agree that, like, okay, yeah, I'd be a little worried because it's been in development for so long. 
but at the same time, um, at the same time, I have to say, what about the notion of like, okay, we're going to go from knowing a teaser image, like no trailer. I mean, with Twilight Princess, we had trailers years before we got the game. We're going to go from no trailer to revealed to out before year's end. I think that's terrific. I think if Nintendo can do that, I'm, I'm not going to discourage them. If Nintendo, if you're listening, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying that I don't have a lot of confidence that you're going to do it. I have a lot of confidence you're going to reveal it and talk a lot about it. See, We'll see a trailer. I, but I, don't, I mean, I would be even surprised if it was playable on the show floor. Um, maybe, I mean, I, I don't think that they'll release a game that's not going to be playable on the show floor uh, this year. I don't see that happening. Um, it's, it doesn't happen very frequently. And I don't, I don't, I just don't think we're going to see a lot. I just don't, I don't know how to say this. I just don't think I would love to see the game this year. I want to see it this year. And I will be happy if it's only revealed and it's discussed and they say, oh, it'll be out third quarter next year. Or if they give a release date, that's fine. I just don't see it coming out this year from having so little information about it. Of course, maybe Nintendo is trying to, to keep expectations low. I don't really, I don't really know what exactly they're trying to do. Um, this may be a new strategy for them for revealing games. Uh, so I don't claim to understand everything, but I just feel like even though he had a, a valid point, which is that you know I'd be con- you said I'd be concerned if it wasn't out now because they had so long to develop it. I mean, Twilight Princess took a long time to develop, and I was I mean let's just say I'm not. It's a great game. I mean, there's no reason to be concerned about it. Um, so I, I don't know. I I think I I maybe take, I maybe take a different stance. But anyway, it's uh, it's just something that. We don't, we don't know about, but I think this is really shaping up to be a great year for Nintendo. Of course, at the very least, they can reveal this. Remember Golden Sun DS? I know there were a lot of, it's sort of a, it sort of has a cult following, at least on the Lithcast forums. There are a lot of people that are really are excited for Golden Sun, and I think we'll see a little bit more of Golden Sun. Of course, Nintendo's not going to center their, their uh, media briefing around it, but if they're, they're, it's going to be, I think it's going, I really do think this is going to be a big event for Nintendo. I don't know why. I just have a feeling in my gut that it's going to be a big event. Um, but of course we have a lot more stuff we can talk about because Nintendo also revealed, I guess I'm not sure if it's Nintendo or Game Freak, but one of them revealed Pokemon black and white, the next gen, true, truly the next generation of Pokemon games. Now, I don't think we actually have a release date on this, or actually I should, I should take that back. Um, but Pokemon black and white is... Let's see what I can get on this because I, I, to be honest with you, I forget. Oh, sorry, no, we actually, sorry, we, did, we right, we didn't have a release date, but we did like two days ago. I remember getting this. I actually got this press release. I really should read those things. Um, it's coming spring 2010 to the to uh, the United States or to America, which includes the United States, and so we would assume. I mean, that's pretty close. Um, and from what they've written up on their blog, they're talking about this as like a sort of a a new beginning for the franchise. They're going to include new Pokemon. Uh, the cover Pokemon have been revealed. They're on lithcast.com slash forums and the Pokemon black and white thread. Of course, you also follow uh, DS cubed on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash DS cubed. They're also up there as well. They're one of the newer links up there um, that I posted links to the cover Pokemon. They're called like, well, I, I really shouldn't pronounce it. Reshiram and Zekrom. And these two guys are, are, are pretty formidable looking. I'm looking at them right now. And so we also have seen the starter, the starter Pokemon. So we've seen a lot of stuff actually about these games, but, um, 
we've seen also our first gameplay video. And I'm going to tell you something else. This game is for the Nintendo DS, okay? Um, and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, because that's actually a great thing. But I'm wondering if this game is not going to have some kind of... Some kind of... I mean, everyone dismisses this. Everyone says, oh, it's not for the 3DS. It's not... It's sort of disappointing that there's not going to be 3D. I don't know exactly when people... Where people got off of that. I'm not saying that it's... I mean, I guess they said explicitly it was for the 3... It was for the DS. But if you look at the visuals for this thing, I mean, it's very... It's highly 3D visuals. And I feel like porting this over to the 3DS... I feel like this we might actually have a Twilight Princess type of scenario here. Where we're going to have a version of it that's for the GameCube, but in this case, the DS. And another version that's for the Wii, in this case, the 3DS. I really do think it's very possible. I mean, if you have not seen it already, look... We can look in the show notes. I think I have it someplace around in the, my Twitter feed. But look in the show notes, and you'll see that you'll see that there's a lot of very 3D elements. Nintendo is incorporating more 3D visuals, much like they did in um, Gold Heart, Gold, and Soul Silver. If you've played through those games, you'll see that there, you know bits bits and pieces here and there are 3D or are done up in 3D, but they're not not like pop out at you 3D, but 3D in terms of Oh, oh! Finally, we're we're in the year 2000 and, uh, 2010, and the DS has had 3D capabilities since 2004, and we are just now leveraging it on the DS. Like, not that sort of 3D. Um, I mean, sorry, it is that sort of 3D. Um, but anyway, Nintendo, I think, could potentially do this. I mean, I haven't heard this mentioned in any place else, but I really do think that just this. Okay, well, let me just put it this way. Spring 2011, what can that mean? That could mean March, April, or May, okay? Uh, Nintendo said that the 3DS is going to be released by end of fiscal year 2011, okay? So Nintendo's fiscal year, for those of you who don't know, ends March 31st, okay? So let's say the 3DS is released in March. Okay, well, then there's no overlap, but if it's released in April or May, then there's already overlap. And I just feel like Nintendo's not going to make their, not going to do that to their system. So I think what they'll probably do is they'll probably, I think they're, I, I really do think they're going to do this, um, like they're, go, I really do think they're going to do this like the way Twilight Princess was done. They're just going to fork the release. They're going to do a GameCube, Game, yes, GameCube and Wii release. Um, instead, I mean, um, 3DS and DS release. And there's, I think they're just going to fork the release. And, if as you know, Iwata said it. I think I'm, I made the, I made the point, but it wasn't my point. That games are developed in a 3D space, particularly this game is being developed in a 3D space. So or at least it looks like it, it is. So why not? You know why not port it? Especially if you're cutting so close. And I'm believe me, I know I know Game Freak. I'm sure Game Freak wasn't kept ignorant about the 3DS. I'm sure Game Freak has known about the 3DS probably into starting the development of this game. I. It, I'm not saying the game looks like it's almost like it's it's coming along, and um, anyway, we, you know, we don't un- unfortunately we don't know actually when the this game comes out. It the one thing that might put a that might make my theory kind of bad, <laughs> among other things, is that we don't know uh, when Pokemon Black and White comes out in Japan. For interesting, interestingly enough. Um, Oh, actually, wait, no, never mind, that's not true. I think we do know when it's coming out in Japan, don't we? Um, God, I don't remember exactly when it's a... 
Um, well, it'll be out in September of 2010 in Japan. Oh well, then you know that might actually mess up with mess with my theory. But um, so I guess because you always figure it takes about six months to do a translation, so they must be pretty far along in the game. Um, so maybe not. Maybe they won't fork the release, um, which I think is a good idea. But if they did it, and I do think if you look at this game, you'll see there's a lot of 3D in it. And um, but anyway, let me just say something briefly about the game. They well, they haven't released that many uh, Pokemon. They're about I'd say what eight to ten that Pokemon that have been released, uh, the cover Pokemon, the starter Pokemon, and, like, two other guys, these two Fox characters. Um, there's also going to be another Pokemon th- film, the 13th film. It's going to be in uh, in Japan on July 10th, so they're getting ready for this. Um, and... <clears throat> we... Well, let's see, anything else about this game that would be interesting to know? Um... Supposedly, also Europe will also get its spring of 2011, in addition to the uh, United States. Um, so it, it's interesting. I'm I'm excited for it. Um, it's a whole new region called Issue, like Issue. Um, and it, so it's a whole new region, and there's going to be you know new Pokemon, and so anyway, actually Endor wrote up in sort of an interesting column. I mean. It wasn't super, like, no offense, Andor. It wasn't, like, super substantive. But it was just talking about, like, well, okay, how about taking Pokemon and not not just adding more more guys to it? I mean, we are starting to get to the point where we're seeing, like, some ridiculous guys. Like, Comb- Combi and Carnivine. I mean, if you guys don't know who those are, look them up and just tell me those aren't the most ridiculous. Tell me tell me they're not running out of ideas. Anyway, so I, I think he had a point about about that. But, uh, and I think what he was saying was that, well, we should go back to games like Gold and Silver. I mean, Gold and Silver, I, I really am so glad that Heart Gold and Soul Silver came out because they're, as I've mentioned, they're remakes of what I think were the best Pokemon games ever created. Gold and Silver brought so many innovations that were not even implemented in games like Ruby and Sapphire and Diamond and Pearl. Um, the day and night thing, I think maybe that was, was that always, like the bug catching contest, so things that were really based on the time, this, this phone idea, you know, using the Poke Gear. That was the Poke. I, well, I'm forgetting all the names. Anyways, I just feel like there were so many concepts that weren't really exploited well, or that trained to go through. There are two regions in. This is still baffles me. There are two regions in Gold and Silver. Granted, I think that Ho, uh, sorry, Johto's is has a little bit more attention put on it with more missions and stuff. It's not like it takes you as long to go through Johto. Sorry, through like Kanto as Johto. But at the same time, there's two regions. And in Ruby and Sapphire, they couldn't do that. In Diamond and Pearl, they couldn't do that. But darn it, <laughs> in Gold, Heart Gold and Soul Silver, and in the original Gold and Silver, they managed to do it. It's amazing. It's terrific. And they also brought in some of the most, some of the best challenges. Of course, when you play Red, you know Red is Ash, and he's the hardest trainer in, in any Pokemon game there is. All of his guys are like level 80. Apparently, have really high EVs. My, my people I know that know about EVs, effort values, I don't really EV train. Um, those people have said, oh, well, yeah, these guys are great. Um, or pretty good. Um, so, it's, you know, there, there's a lot to that. There were a lot to those games. I would highly recommend someone getting a Heart Gold and Soul Silver if you um, want to have a good time with a, with a, with a, a Pokemon game. Um, but anyway, so, what Endor's point was that we could potentially do more, 
more innovations within the game. And maybe 3D is sort of like one of these things, or more some of the visuals are sort of like this. And it seems like we have a new battle mechanic a little bit. You'll you'll see it if you look at the um, at the website and if you look at the videos. Um, there will be some stuff in the show notes about it. Um, but if you look at it, you'll see that it does look like it's a lot more. Uh, it's got like the visuals are a lot better. And maybe that's part of it, but I think there does need to be some actual in-game innovations. Um, but again, I always <laughs> I say this again, not not to nag, but I do think that Nintendo's online platform being significantly improved would significantly improve Pokemon. It is one of these games that does stand to benefit a whole lot. Okay, I admit Zelda not going to benefit a whole lot from um, from adding a better online platform unless that Nintendo wants to go World of Warcraft with it, but I don't think a lot of fans would be too happy with it. Of course, on the other hand, I suppose a lot of fans would be. But games like Pokemon stand to benefit and stand to gain a lot from a better online system. Um, so anyway, that was Pokemon Black and White. It's a, I'm very excited for it because even if Nintendo doesn't change it, I just think it's one of my favorite series. It's really a series that introduced me in, into gaming that really got me into it. Um, I wouldn't say it's my favorite series. My favorite series is probably Super Smash Brothers or Zelda. Well, Super Smash Brothers, Zelda, and Pokemon. I do like those a lot. Um, I do like the Assassin's Creed series a lot, but anyway, that's not the point. Um, so, let's see, what else are we talking about here? So, Nintendo obviously released their 2010 or 2009 financial results at the end of their fiscal year, which was in um, in 2000 and, sorry, it was in March 31st. I don't know how many people, how many of you are investor savvy, but just so you know, like a fiscal year is like when the company just like, it's like an arbitrary year. They're like, okay, we choose to start our year and end our year here. And I'm not exactly sure why it is that companies do it. Um, maybe, I, I really should figure out that why that is that companies do that. Maybe it's just because of when they, I think it's based off when they went public or, and not everyone goes public, you know, in January. But anyway, Nintendo, basically, we had some sort of, people say disappointing results. Um, I would argue that they're not super disappointing. And actually we have a great article on Lithcast about um, some of the finances and you know in the United States revenues have dropped I'll give you some excerpts you know it's scary you know US revenues have dropped 26% in April in April alone which is an 889 million dollar loss for sorry no that's right this is for the whole gaming industry 26% drop in sales in April and the whole industry reported 889 million dollar loss um, and but and Nintendo's net sales, you know, year to date, are down twenty two twenty two percent, and operating income, aka profit, is down almost thirty six percent. But if you look at the rest of Nintendo's balance sheet, and I think the, I mean, those are the numbers people really focus on are the profit. Nintendo has has a lot of has a lot of cash, has a lot of capital for future projects to put into research and development. And I think we're going to see that actually at this year's E3, not in the form of a huge booth, which, you know, would be nice, um, or free stuff, which also would be nice, but in the sense that we're going to have a limit, look at all this stuff Nintendo can talk about. 3DS, Wii Zelda, Golden Sun, um, Pokemon Black and White, potentially. Um, maybe, maybe we'll see a Wii HD type thing. I think we should see a new online platform. There's just so much stuff I think that they can talk about and that they've kept so tight-lipped about that I think they can really have set up to to shock us, and they have the capital and they have the cash on hand to to invest in that stuff, um, and um, so anyway, that as far as a 
see some, there's some stuff here in this article about uh, paying out shareholders. 33% of the profits um, that are, gets paid out in the form of dividends, and th- they keep 67% of it. Um, let's see. Da, 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 da. Um, um, let's see. There's something called there's something called the uh, the capital adequacy ratio, which is calculated by taking the shareholder equity, as in the number of shares owned, times the price of the shares, and divide it by the total assets of the company. And Nintendo shareholder equity um, has gone up in 2009. 2000 has from in has gone up in 2010. Um, and what I think the point was being made in this article was that lo- getting uh, loans is harder. Nintendo has cash on hand, and that's really good for development because there are other companies that don't have that kind of cash on hand that have to get loans, that have to take out. And in this market where, uh, in this type of a market um, where lend, you know, the loanable funds are not as plentiful, it's going to be more difficult for other companies. I think this gives Nintendo a leg up on, a, on other companies in terms of doing research and development. Um, and of course, they also keep some money for you know for a, a rainy day, so to speak. Um, what's also interesting is no, I I didn't really notice this, but apparently Japanese net sales, as in as in uh, this doesn't count the operating expenses, but even counting the operating expenses, it's still greater. Japanese sales are almost two times that in the United States, or sorry, in the Americas, um, and also Nintendo's profit in Japan is seven point four times that of America's. Um, on average, you know, their markets that their margin is seven, seven and a half times as thick. Um, so 85% of their, of their, well, okay, let's just say 82% of Nintendo's profit comes from Japan, which I thought was interesting. And I think the point was being made. I'm not sure if I understand this, but I, I'm not sure. I'm not saying I don't understand. So I'm not sure I agree with this, but the idea was that keeping their profits mostly generated in their home market allows them to have a little bit more control um, in the sense that they're not exposed to the uh, foreign exchange fluctuations. Um, obviously, countries, uh, foreign countries having change and polit- um, political risk and, of course, the transaction costs associated with uh, doing business in another country that might be t- in the form of taxes or tariffs or, of course, just the normal transportation costs or the distributor costs. I mean, there's so many middleman costs to do business overseas. Um, so I think Nintendo's financial statements are, they're discouraging in the sense that profits are down. And I think, but I think we have to wake up to the fact that Nintendo is selling the Nintendo Wii, which is a product they have not updated. And it's been going gangbusters since 2006, you know, late 2006, November, November 19th, 2006, um, since they were released it. And unfortunately, okay, four years later, maybe it's like three and a half years later, what do we expect? Eventually it's going to take on the life cycle of a normal electronic the Nintendo Wii is an electronic, and it's not going to be treated any differently after a point. It's amazing that it had that run that it did, that it had a two or three year run, whatever it was, with not having like a down a down quarter, not having a down month. And I think Nintendo needs to, I mean, they should look at this and they should say, okay, well, it's time. We've got a lot of cash on hand. This is our opportune time to be investing in games. And thankfully, this is, this is great for, for us, the gamer. This is the time for Nintendo to be putting their money into research and development, to be going out on a limb because they've got cash. Um, they have. Let's see. Let's see about this. I think. I think. Um, how much? How much cash do they have? Um, 
logs. I'll, I'll figure out exactly how much they have. Um, so Nintendo's cash on hand, um, they currently have 800, well, sorry, that's in million yen, so it's a lot of yen. It's, it's, just, it's just a lot. I'm looking at the chart here. It's on lifecast.com. They added, what's that? Is that, is that in the billion? It's 130. Is that 130 billion yen? I think that's, oh no, sorry, it's 100, 100,000. Well, it's a, it's a lot of yen. That's all I can say. Because it's unfortunately it's in yen. I should, we should have converted this to dollars anyway, or something other than yen, something without as big of numbers. But anyway, uh, so that was sort of an interesting thing to look at. Um, we also have what else is there to talk about? There's there is a lot of stuff. I'm, I mean, I have to I have to admit to all of you, I'm very excited for this year's E3, and I'm and I'm really very excited to go. Of course, as I mentioned, I think I've said this every year. I'm always honored to go. Um, I think it's such a big honor to go to E3. Maybe some people don't think that, um, and I think it's like a right to go to E3. But like I, I, I was one of these things that I don't. <laughs> I try to take for granted because I remember it's it's not always easy to get in. Um, but and we're not going to stream it this year, by the way. We didn't last year. Um, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately. I guess this is a good thing. Back when we first started streaming it, it wasn't really common for the major guys like. GameSpot or IGN to stream it without charging, without making you become like an insider member, where you know it was a paid membership. Uh, but you know, after about the second year, it became really popular. The streaming providers became more and more numerous. So I think streaming it doesn't make much sense anymore. And of course, I mean, I don't, you guys aren't there. It's it's a lot. Of, it's very stressful to stream it. I mean, we've done it before, and as I mentioned, it's very stressful. You have to get there, and you have to deal with the media, not the you know the uh, production company that does it, and it changes. So, you know, you think one year you've befriended the guys that are, that put on the production last year, and then Nintendo switches the company. Um, so anyway, it's not really a fun task. I, I really wonder even how the big guys like G4 and GameSpot, you know, I, I wonder how they do this. I, I feel like they, they must have people specifically for, like, buffer. I guess, they're, I, guess, I guess they're sort of like headache buffering people. Like, they they specifically deal with Nintendo's PR people and Unfortunately, they don't even have one company to deal with. They just have, they have hundreds of companies to deal with, and I don't know how they do it. But anyway, um, so let's see. Is there anything else we can talk about? Talk about financials. Well, oh, there's a small piece of news about Mario Galaxy I forgot to mention, which is that Nintendo is uh, is going to be uh, giving away um, a Mario the Super Mario Galaxy 2 soundtrack uh, on Club Nintendo I think for uh, 300 points or if you've purchased a Super Mario Galaxy uh, if you've registered I think it's only 200 points um, but yeah I mean that's not 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 a not a big deal at least I don't think it's a big deal certainly I would like to have the um, Super Mario Galaxy soundtrack here in the United States, and of course this sort of just is another more fodder for the idea that the Club Nintendo of Japan is just so much better than it is in the United States or in Europe. Um, but you know what? It's not bad, and I'm glad we have well, we have it. Well, anyway, Lithcast listeners, I don't know that there's really much else to say. We've already got about an hour and 19 minutes of a podcast here going, so it's it's good stuff. I'm glad we managed to talk. Uh, I, I know I'm forgetting stuff. I mean, I'm, it always happens. But thankfully, you can keep up with the action by going to lithcast.com slash forums or twitter.com slash dscubed are both terrific ways of keeping up with the action and 
making sure that you don't miss a thing um, with uh, when it comes to Nintendo news or, as I mentioned, Lithcast, of course, isn't necessarily the best source for news. It's, it's a good source for news, but it's not the best. And um, But it's the probably best source for a community. So I would highly suggest that you all visit there, um, that you take a look at our folding team, the Nintendo folding team, uh, uh, folding.stanford.edu, download the GUI tech screensaver, or you don't have to download the PS3 client, but if you have the Life with PlayStation uh, feature, which you should, of course, have because it's free uh, for your PlayStation 3, you can, of course, run that and run the folding at home in that. And when prompted for the team number, give the team number of 45501, and that'll donate your work units in the name of Lithcast and the name of, of Nintendo. So it's all good stuff. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, there's... Um, the folding team. I'm just, just going to give the Twitter again. I really like to have more followers. Um, I think I post pretty decent stuff. Twitter.com slash DS cubed. Uh, Twitter.com slash DSCUBED. And um, let's see, anything else other than Twitter and Lithcast? I think that's pretty much it, right? Um, all right, well, Lithcast listeners, hopefully, ho- listeners, hopefully I will see you, I will speak with you again before E3 time comes around. And, um, so, until then, Lithcast listeners, this is Daniel Friedlander from Lithcast.com signing off. Have yourself a good pre-E3.